podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombs show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you're subscribed to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombs show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombs show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. We have got a jam-packed show for you today. Gang, Iron Mike back at ESPN HQ. Can't quite believe that Harry, the producer, let him through security. But here he is, and we'll be checking in with him very, very soon. We'll chat to Tom Lugerville a bit later on. Uh, regular now, isn't he, on the show? XFL rolling past its second weekend. Still going strong and some big stories to get into with tom espn insider mike tannenbaum is going to be joining us in just a little bit as well lots of free agency chat flying around mike will give us the inside skiddy on some possible destinations for some of the big names you are hearing linked with a move away and we'll dive into your mailbag as well at the nc show is how you get your questions in for the show so much to be talking about so let's get straight to it and say hello to iron mike Hi, Mike, back in studio once again, which I guess, first things first, means you got some good leverage here. <laughs> right? <laughs> leverage, leverage is what it's all about. And, you know, and I've got, I've got the best leverage around, basically. What Joe Burrow said was interesting. Um, we got Mike Tannenbaum joining us in a bit, and we'll get into the story with him. And I already know what Mike's going to say, because I've heard him talk about it. Oh, already. okay. Well, don't spoil that. I won't spoil it. No, no spoilers. spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, like when you answer our listeners' questions on Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Only one. So Joe Burrow, who is the Expected number one overall pick uh, and expected, therefore, unless they, they deal the pick to go to the Bengals, says he's got leverage. And then he said they have their process, meaning the Bengals. I have my process. Yeah. And the question is whether they can get those two takes to merge, basically. Mm. And from Joe Burrow's point of view, I think the, the key thing and one that I haven't heard anybody really talking about, forget Mike Brown and, and Katie Blackburn and all the rest of the family that runs that runs the Bengals and how hard they're going to be in negotiations and how they have all the negotiating leverage. The important thing is for Jack, Zach Taylor and and Burrow to get on the same page. Right. The only person who can convince him to come, I think, to Cincinnati mm. happily is Zach Taylor. Mm. Here's our offense. This is what we're going to do. Here's Brian Callahan, um, our, our offensive coordinator, son of Bill Callahan. You know, nepotism runs crazy in this mm. business, but, but I think that's, that's the absolute key because if you take this back historically, and I don't want to bore Mike Tannenbaum with this, but John Elway's real reason he didn't want to go to the Coles was Frank Cush was the coach, and Frank Cush didn't understand what a forward pass was. Plus, he'd probably have him doing he'd probably have him doing Oklahoma drills, you know, and hitting people in the side. And and Eli's to an extent, although there's different stories about who was the key person in the Eli in the Eli holdout. Eli's to an extent was Marty Schottenheimer. The same way they didn't want him to, you know, they didn't want him to go to a coach who they didn't think was an offensive mind and. And if, and if Zach Taylor's 
anything. He's got that's what he's supposed to be. It's he's like supposed to be, young, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so, so Burrow, you know, I think it's up to him to convince Burrow where to go. Incidentally, I want you to bore Mike Tannenbaum as much as you physically, <laughs> physically can. Mike. That is an order. Uh, so we'll get into that with Mike. Uh, the CBA getting discussed right now. So the expansion of. Uh, the regular season, the playoffs, that's a big story we'll get into as well. Drew Brees announcing he's returning in 2020. That's his 20th season. I'm like 15th with the Saints. A surprise? No, not at all. I, I never, I didn't doubt for a second that he would be back. And there was no point in his going anywhere else because he, he and Peyton are, are so on the same page. You know, they know how that offense works and the team is so close to getting there in the playoffs. You know, there's two years in a row where they could easily say, you know, we really should have gone farther than, than we did in the playoffs so I think I think he's set for another year it makes the the situation behind him a little bit interesting because remember both Teddy B and uh, Taysom Hill are free agents Um, but I don't think Breeze was was really in doubt and I don't think he was a key to this whole free agent quarterback carousel which we're going to see glad you mentioned that so let's get into that in a bit more detail we talked a bit about Brady about Rivers uh, last week of course but there are a number of other quarterbacks in the mix, free agents, and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you would imagine now is going to get dealt, and we'll find a landing spot, you would think, based on his cameo last year, but quite a few others as well, so you'd be looking into that, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, to me, the, the, the fulcrums of this are, of the guys who are free agents, probably Jameis Winston, and the guys who aren't, Cam Newton, mm-hmm. because... It's the team's decision as to what they do with those two guys that might open up the market and then really start the carousel moving quickly. Are they both automatic starters if they leave? Not necessarily. That's well, Cam, I think, is if he's healthy, but that's nobody knows how fit he is. Nobody knows how, whether he's able to throw well or not. Um, Winston, it depends. Uh, he's probably, you know, better than the starting options on a few teams if, if they know how to handle him right. But the big question mark is, can you improve on his, it's not just interceptions, it's fumbles as well. Right. His, his sort of general lack of awareness, of a turnover awareness, say. Um, but I think what, what those two guys are the ones who start the dominoes falling, you know, because everybody kind of knows Philip Rivers is going to go to Indianapolis, for example, and maybe Brady goes somewhere else and, and the Patriots then have to get involved in the free agent hunt. But What's your hunch on Brady? Pardon me? What's your hunch on Brady? My hunch, hunch is he stays. stays. I mean, I know the odds of him going to Vegas have gotten really low now, you know, but that's because <laughs> it's irony. Vegas. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, um, to me, Teddy Bridgewater is probably the most attractive guy out there in just in terms of, of potential to develop, but, but actually being there as well. I, Tannehill's a guy who I don't see leaving Tennessee because the situation's too good. Mm. You know, is he going to be as effective with another team? Does Tennessee want a different kind of quarterback? I don't, I wouldn't want one if, you know, again, and will they keep Henry? Derek Henry's sure. a free agent as well, remember? And then, you know, Dalton's there, Foles is there, Foles has this huge contract, how can you get rid of that, you know, um, in a trade, I doubt that they can. Josh Rosen's probably available if anybody wants him, and you know, he's had Two, two years as a, a starter on he's two different terrible teams. Jacoby Brissett, he's an interesting one. A good, he is a very, injury, he's he a was, very interesting one. Because his stock really fell rapidly last season because he was at one stage, I remember at least a few different commentators talking about him as an outsider. For comeback player of the year, you know, MVP, there's some people, the Colts, stage, got, people were the Colts got off to a good start. Yeah, and and then, as, then as you say, he was, he was hurt a bit and uh, T.Y. Hilton was out a lot, right. which hurt, which hurt them overall. Um, and I think Brissett has shown he can start. Uh, I don't think, I think 
the, the, the knock on him basically is that he's a relatively slow processor, um, in terms of, of making his reads. But, you know, Frank Reich is a great coach for that kind of thing of, you know, helping a quarterback decide where he's going to go. Nick Foles, um, with Frank Reich. Sure. Rivers, of course, you know, had some of his best years when Reich was, was the coach, was the offensive coordinator or quarterback and quarterbacks coach before that at, at um, San Diego. So, you know, I, I think the, the interesting thing to me were, would be if Brady left, would the Pats want to bring back Brissett? Mm. Um, you know, they know what That's he can, they know what he can do and right. they know he knows the system and, and he would come relatively inexpensively, which is kind of a big thing because I don't know if I said it I can't remember if I said it last week, but, but, you know, Bella, I think Bill Belichick knows exactly how much money he's willing to spend yep, he to keep, to keep Tom Brady. Yeah. And he, I don't think he'll want to spend more than that because I don't think, I don't think the sentimental appeal of it will, will influence him as much as it will influence everybody else. Bill doesn't do sentiment, I think is what well, you're trying to say. He, you know, to an extent he does, but, but not when it comes to what, what goes on the field. And, and, you know, and, and that, that reminds me, the thought occurred to me that Eli, for example, would probably find a little bit of a market if he were a free agent this year. <laughs> Eli but, to the Patriots. But, 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 take Carson. but Eli's been very smart in terms of keeping his career with the Giants. You know, he is a New York Giant quarterback yeah. and that's how he will be remembered. And I'm I'm starting a piece on the each team's best quarterback in history, you know, and, and nice. And that, that that led me to think of that. And I like the way you got your plug in that eased that in at the end. That was Yeah, well just the, on the Patriots. <laughs> if it's not if let's role play a minute, if Brady does go and if Brissett isn't ooh. an option, who else Realistically, would given the market we're talking about, and we'll talk about Ooh, the draft. If we're, role, if we're role playing, yeah, can I be, be Danny Shelton? You could be Danny Shelton if you want. I can see more as a Belichick kind of guy. But the um, the options outside of the, the draft, we'll talk about the draft quarterbacks in a moment. But in terms of already established free agency pros, who are the most likely quarterbacks to at least pique Belichick's interest in terms of their playing style and where they are in their careers? I think Bridgewater. You know, um, I, I think. He could go to Andy Dalton, say mm-hmm. Andy Dalton. A lot of people have made that would, would be a veteran quarterback who, who he probably thinks he could get a year, a year of decent play out of. But Derek um, Carr, it's, let's say. Well, Carr. If, Carr, if Carr were a free agent, that would be an interesting one. Available then. Yeah. Just free agent, be- I guess, because, yeah. um, because Carr, Carr to me has always been an enigma since his junior year. At, at Fresno when I thought he was looked like the best quarterback in the country for next year. I thought he was going to come out and get drafted high then. He stayed and didn't play as well. And he's always, he's always seemed to be held back a little bit from where he was that, that junior year in college. I think he's got more, more potential to open up his game than, than we've seen uh, under any, under any of his coaches. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about the, um, Eli, you know, when, when Philip Rivers and Eli and, and San, now San Diego, San Diego's general manager, um, was AJ Smith. Right. After John Butler had gone and, and they were chalk and cheese. I mean, John Butler's one of the nicest guys I've ever met, you know, really helpful. And AJ Smith was kind of, so was kind of dour and most people who dealt with him seemed to back that kind of thing up. And Ernie Accorsi was the Giants GM. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and Accorsi had apparently let, let out that anyone was available on the Giants roster if they wanted to make a deal with San Diego, apart from Osi. Osi was the one untouchable. The one guy. And, and so they got together, I Have guess. You talk to about it. No, I, I, cause I, it, it just, I just found it out. And, and so they go to the draft 
And A.J. Smith goes into a room with Ernie Accorsi, and the first thing he says is, I want O.C. And Accorsi kind of, go, you know, his jaw drops, and then he laugh, A.J. Smith laughs. I said, that's probably the only bit of humor you, anyone ever got out of A.J. Smith. I bet A.J. was great when he found him at sort of 1 a.m. in the bars. I wouldn't, the I, wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, well, a lot going to be happening over the coming weeks and of course what happens in the draft and quarterbacks that are available is going to have a significant bearing on this because there are three possibly four quarterbacks that could go in the first round we talked Burrow of course Tua it seems uh, injuries and the injuries that he's had throughout his college career and most recently of course the significant injury he had knocking him out of last season uh, doesn't seem to be affecting too much his draft stock I've seen him go at three on some mock boards to Detroit five to Miami yeah, and I always thought Miami was kind of the perfect spot for him, um, and um, to a Tagovailoa, if you want to just say the whole name. Tagovailoa. Yeah. How um, you say it? Hang on, I'm gonna, let's compare this. What did Tagovailoa. you say? Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa, isn't it? Tagovailoa. You're, you're just cutting the A, that's what. Okay. Um, <laughs> the king of pronunciation, I'm like. Yeah, um, but I, I think, you know, I think his talent, I think everybody is assuming he will be back. And if you're a team with a veteran quarterback in place and you think you can then bring him along slowly, which I mm. think is a better strategy. And I've, we've said that we've had this discussion a million times. But it's a copycat league. So given Mahomes' success, is that going to suddenly become more? Well, I, I hope it does because it makes a lot of sense. You right. know, not not. I mean, for example, Cincinnati. Ryan Finley. Now, was Ryan Finley ever going to be the starting quarterback? Probably not. They, what was he's he? A fourth round, fourth round draft pick. He's <laughs> sure. not a bad player, but he's a guy you have to develop. He's sure. not a guy who's going to step in his rookie season and play like an NFL veteran. Sure. The best quarterbacks in the league don't play like NFL veterans. The best rookies in the league don't play like NFL veterans. They rarely season. do. You know, um, Terry Bradshaw had one of the worst rookie quarterback seasons ever. Ben yeah. Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. Did, Peyton. Ditto. Peyton didn't have a good one. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to do. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think Miami made a lot of sense, although Miami now is starting to, um, to look at Justin Herbert. Appar- now, apparently from what, from what, what you, I read. Quick line, uh, from our mailbag on Justin Herbert. Sure. Richard, thanks for this. We'll do a proper mailbag later or a deeper mailbag later on the show. But Richard, very quickly at the NC show says, Mel Kuyper has said that Justin Herbert has the highest ceiling <laughs> of all quarterbacks in yeah, the draft. I, I, I'll tell you why Mel Kuyper said that. Tell uh, me about Um, it. Justin Herbert is, looks like a pure, Pocket passer. Al Kuyper's kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, classic, classic build for that. Plus he is mobile. I mean, it's not that he's a, he's a, you know, stone pos, po, pocket passer. Um, I like Herbert a lot. And, um, you know, I think you're right. Does he have the highest ceiling? Yeah. Is it a higher ceiling than Joe Burrows? Maybe. Does, does he have a stronger arm? Um, he just looks more like a quarter, you know, he looks like a, a young Manning kind of, uh, guy. Gotcha. Not, not as, probably not as, um, developed as a quarterback as Peyton, um, or probably not as, as Eli, but Eli, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in that top three, you're probably sitting on, on three good picks. Justin Love is, is the, Jordan Love. Jordan Love, sorry, Justin here. Herbert, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love. Players, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Justin Love's probably he'll he, he'll probably sneak into the first round and and sneak you know sneak probably is probably somewhat pejorative but uh, depending on need of quarterback the other thing with Herbert is he had a great Senior Bowl mm. um, you know not not so much the tearing it up which is not that hard to do in the Senior Bowl but the fact that he went down and played and did everything and looked good in the drills and all that kind of stuff showed exactly what you want to see in a quarterback so I think I think he upped his status too and and the people who think well Cincinnati hang on to Burrow and then trade him for a bucket of picks I mean mm. in the end Eli Manning. Generate, generated Philip Rivers, mm-hmm. 
Shane Merriman, Nate Kading, the kicker, and Roman Oban, who was a decent a decent tackle decent in the league. Huh? Yeah. Which would you rather have? I'm definitely not going to argue with Sean Merriman, that's for sure. Uh, right, uh, we will do more mailbag later. Thanks for that question, Richard. At the NC Show, if you want to get in touch with the show, incidentally, we'll talk some XFL a bit later on too with Tom Lugerbill. But next up, ESPN Insider, Mike Tannenbaum. All right, let's get the latest on some of the big stories from around the NFL right now with ESPN Insider. Mike Tannenbaum, welcome back to the show, Mike. Great to be with you guys. How are you? Very good indeed. It's uh, good to have you on. And the NFL never sleeps, of course. Uh, a lot going on. And uh, we'll start with the Joe Burrow story that Mike and I were talking about right at the very top. And uh, We mentioned uh, what has been said officially. The language that he's using, referencing the leverage he has uh, as the number one overall pick. Do you think that's more uh, a representation of the changing attitudes amongst players and their agents now in terms of him publicly adopting this bullish kind of attitude? Or do you think this is very specific to Burrow? And the fact that he just doesn't want to play at the Bengals. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think where players are feeling more empowered, where they've grown up with social media and they feel like they have a little bit more control over their circumstance. But in Joe Burrow's case, he, he has no leverage. You know, if the Bengals decide to draft him, that's where he has to go. Um, you know, as it relates to Cincinnati, I think the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, that Jordan Palmer, which is Carson Palmer's younger brother, is coaching him, I got to think that could be a factor in terms of. You know, let's say Carson Palmer didn't have a great experience with uh, Cincinnati. Now his brother's around Joe Burrow every day, so I'm sure that could be a little bit of a factor. But yeah. I'm sure uh, we're going to see more of this in the future, not less of it. He's not going. He's not going to find Mike Brown and family the most flexible people in the world. But to me, the person that this is up to, if it's a question of convincing him uh, he wants to play for the Bengals, is Zach Taylor, because. If you go back and look at Eli Manning and, and Marty Schotten, Schottenheimer and before that Elway and Frank Cush, I mean, coaches have a lot to do with where a quarterback might want to go. Yeah, I think that's right. So, um, but I, I think part of it fundamentally is, uh, once you draft a player, you know, you have his rights for five years. So I think organizationally you have to say yourself, like, five years is a long time. We, we could draft this player. He's from Ohio. Um, and work really hard to help him transform who we are. Now, look, Zach Taylor is going to have a seat at the table. At the end of the day, this is certainly going to be an ownership decision. And and would an agent would an agent uh, try to challenge this? Because I mean, I remember back when Bo Jackson, you know, didn't want to go when he was drafted, and and of course he had baseball as an option, so he took a year off, played baseball, and then he went back into the draft. Would an agent challenge this five year thing as being an unreasonable restriction? Of labor due to you know a violation of antitrust. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be. Certainly, they're going to throw anything they can, uh, you know, against the kitchen sink and see what you know sticks. But at the end of the day, it's collectively bargained. Um, you know, there's rights and liabilities to both sides, and there's a lot of great things about being an NFL player and the fact that when you get drafted, that team gets you know your rights initially. That's part of the fundamental trade-off. So. He certainly could try the legal route and, and challenge the system. I know a handful of players have done that over the years, but at the end of the day, that's a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of expense. Certainly, you know, the union's not going to support that. So he would really be swimming upstream in terms of trying to make those uh, claims by himself. Could Burrow just be, be throwing out a net there to, to sort of get another team to um, up an offer that they might be willing to make at some point in the future to the Bengals? Sure. But again, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter because if Cincinnati wants to take him, 
yeah, I've said this on the record guys a number of times. Like, I, I just don't see an offer that would make Cincinnati move in terms of multiple first-round picks. They just don't see it happening. Okay, you mentioned collective bargaining, and let's move on then to the negotiations going on right now. Uh, with regards to the CBA, it looks like the league is going to be getting bigger. Uh, the much-anticipated 17-game season, though, we understand that won't be till 2021, right? But that looks like it's coming to effect. And the playoff expanding to 14 teams as well. Mike, I guess it depends on who you talk to within the game. Keen to, to get uh, the perspectives you've been receiving. Owners are going to love it because it means more money. Um, what about players and, and coaches and GMs that you've spoken to? How is the expansion of the NFL playing out with them? Well, I think, you know, it's a number of things. You know, 17 games, they're going to need to consider roster sizes. They're going to have to consider liberalizing the uh, injury reserve rules so players can come on and off the roster a little bit more easier. And then um, at the end of the day, you're going to have to look at things like um, with this one bye week, guys, like regular season games will be that much more important. If we go back a year ago to the NFC and we look at New Orleans, Green Bay, obviously San Francisco, Philadelphia, those teams were, were tightly packed. And, and if only one of those teams gets a bye, that, that's going to have a huge impact on you know, what happens, you know, moving forward. So I think we're going to have to look at roster sizes. We're going to have to look at how important that one, only one team getting a bye week is. And then maybe also changing the injured reserve rules in terms of um, having more players be able to come on and off the roster. The talk, Nat talked about more money for the owners, and presumably um, they're going to be offering the Players Association more money in uh, to take an extra game and and forget forget about the uh, the injury and other and other worries. Uh, do you think that will fly? I do because you know and I, I'm not obviously in these negotiations, so I can only go by what's being reported. But you know, you're talking about upwards of another point or point and a half. You know, you're, you're talking about an extra six billion dollars in revenue for the players so if it's three preseason games and 17 regular season games but the players net 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 come out with a, an additional six to six and a half billion dollars that's probably a pretty good trade-off for the players now mike we were talking about uh some of the key free agents on the market and players that uh are being talked about in terms of whether the teams they're currently with will try and do deals with them or whether they will fly fly the nest. So I want to get to a few of them with you in terms of whether you think they stay or or go. And I want to start close to home as far as your experience is concerned. And Ryan Tannehill, who we touched on at the top, uh, both Tannehill and, and Derek Henry, two of the, the key architects of their uh, terrific season uh, for Tennessee, uh, could end up uh, moving on. But do you think that, that Tennessee will look uh, and secure them both? Particularly, Tannehill's an interesting one, isn't he? Because in some respects, he, despite uh, the comeback player of the season and uh, a number of people celebrating what he did, he's, he's a little bit underrated when you look at what he achieved last season. Everybody looks at Tennessee and says it's all down to Derek Henry. But look at the numbers, and Tannehill was a key part of their success, wasn't he? I totally agree. You know, he I think the easy narrow is to say that was Derrick Henry's team, but there was a lot of good things that Tannehill did, and when he was healthy, he led the uh, Dolphins to the playoffs and uh, got to Tennessee to the uh, championship game. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm going to work really hard to keep both those players. Okay, uh, so Tennessee uh, got some decisions to make. So the Cowboys, of course, as well, with both Dak Prescott and Mari Cooper. Uh, a lot of them that we knew this day was coming that Dallas were going to have to find a way of, of making the money work and, and, and splashing the cash. Prescott, you, you'd imagine they're going to keep. What are they going to do with Amari Cooper, do you think? Most people don't realize this, but Dallas has been number one on third down offense in the NFL since they made that trade. He gave him a first-round pick, so I, I would think that uh, 
they got to do everything within reason to keep him as well. And if they don't, they only have themselves to blame because when you make a trade like that, guys, the most leverage you have is the day you make the trade. And every day he's there that you don't get a deal done, you just give more and more leverage to the player. And Amari Cooper, people think of as being a grizzled veteran, but he's still only, what, 26 years old? He's definitely younger than Jerry Glanville. That, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, the uh, other one I wanted to ask you about, Chris Jones, um, because uh, uh, he is a, a, you know, a key player, obviously, for, for Kansas City. Do you think that if they can't agree a deal with him, that they'll, they'll drop the franchise tag on him? Um, I don't think there's any way that Chris Jones is not there. They don't they don't win the Super Bowl without Chris Jones. I, I could see guys like Sammy Watkins leaving much before I could see anything happening to uh, Chris Jones. He's too important. You know, him, Frank Clark, Tyrone Matthew. So I think any sort of, uh, you know, roster reductions would come from the offensive side of the ball. One more for you, Mike, just away from free agency. Uh, we're going to be chatting a bit of XFL a little bit later on in the show with Tom Luganville, one of the ESPN uh, broadcast crew, of course, you know, a regular on our show uh, in the uh, NFL off season. Based on a couple of weeks of the XFL that, that you've watched, and, and particularly the rule changes that seem to be pretty much to uh, the letter a real success in terms of how fans have responded to them, how many of them do you think, um, which ones in particular, the NFL might look at adopting sooner rather than later? Well, what's intriguing to me is the kickoffs, because I think what they've done is try to marry the, the two ideas of like, hey, let's keep this kickoff in the game and what can we do to make it safer? So I think to the extent they could, um, they try to do that. And I think that's one that's everyone can take a long look at. Like, could the kickoff rules be, uh, you know, tweaked so you could still have that play in the game but done it in a, in a safer way? Yeah, the kickoff certainly uh, widening uh, up the uh, offensive reactions. You look at what the NFL stats versus XFL in terms of returns. I mean, it's, uh, it's one-way traffic as far as the XFL is concerned. Yeah, my, I don't want to beat this into the ground, but I've, I've just been thinking and going back to the Joe Burrow situation because Nat and I were talking about um, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and it, it occurs to me that with Burrows and Herbert and Tua, you've almost got a top three that is reminiscent of when Eli and Rivers and Ben were the top three in that draft. And the way it worked out for San Diego was they came out of it with Rivers – Sean Merriman, Nate Keating, and Roman Oban as their hall for letting the Giants have Eli Manning. Do you think that someone might sit down and say a package like that if we get a quarterback who is as good, virtually as good, might be better, it would be worth considering? Yeah, I just don't think Cincinnati's going to be operating that way. I, I, I think it's a really good comparison to Charger Giants situation. I just think you know, the difference here is Mike Brown's an owner-operator, and once he says Joe Burrow's the guy, the rest of it to him is going to be background noise. Right. Got it. Mike, always a pleasure. I uh, appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. This is uh, a lot of stuff flying around the NFL. There is a lot of stuff flying around the NFL right now, and it is a testament to the way the league is run now that it is a 3-6-5, 24-7 league. So know you're super busy. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate having me. Thank you. All right. Take care. Lovely stuff from Mike Tannenbaum. Hopefully we'll be checking in with him very, very soon. Let's move things swiftly along, gang. Fast becoming a fixture on the show. He is one of the ESPN broadcast crew for the XFL this season. And I'm delighted to have him on the show each and every week. Getting us up to speed on the brand new professional league in America is Tom Lugerville. 
Tom, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you too, guys. Everything well? You are still alive and kicking two weeks in the bag now, and the XFL is rolling. Good to see. Um, got to start with the uh, the game you were covering, right? The ESPN's game, the Guardians defenders. Yeah. Ugly for New York, wasn't it? And <laughs> and Matt McGloin, I mean, he has got a lot of criticism over the last four or five days, not least because at halftime he said to your colleague, uh, Deanna Rossini, we need to change the whole game plan. That, that was his line. And he has come under fire for that. And I think his second half, quite a petulant demeanor, and it all went horribly wrong. So what's the fallout there? Is he done now at New York? Well, so, you know, we interviewed him five times. I got him after the first two interceptions. And to be honest with you, he was a consummate pro. Now, at that point, the game was still in hand. You know, the wheels hadn't come off. He was frustrated, but he answered everything with a level of professionalism and accountability, just like you'd expect a quarterback to do who's made a mistake. Then the halftime interview happened, as you mentioned, with Diane, and we're going to blow up the whole game plan. And then he comes out in the second half, and he plays even worse. And listen, it wasn't all Matt McGloin. Uh, there were issues up front in the offensive line. New York came into that game down two starters in the offensive line. It's already a thin position in the league, league-wide. And he was just under assault. And then it went from bad to worse. His emotions began to boil over. But you could also see that there was a real disconnect between what he thought should have been being called and what was being called. And then some finger pointing started to happen. And then that accountability I referenced in the first half was nowhere to be seen. So everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I think, obviously, internally, they've had to have some discussions amongst coaches and players and things of that nature this week uh, leading into this contest. But I don't think they're going to bench him. I, I think that let's kind of press the reset button and see where it goes from here. How much of this is a factor of the short preparation time? You know, we, we talked about it last week with Pepper Johnson being fired. But, but realistically – when teams don't have a lot of time to prepare and, and when that's the case, defenses are usually ahead of offenses. Um, you know, how, how big a factor has this been league wide? Um, I don't know if it's been significant. It has been a factor. I think more than anything else is, and you would say this as it related to the NFL season, you'd say this as it relates to the college football season. You're generally going to kind of see your greatest improvement between week one and week two because now you've done it. It's been live. You've played, you know a little bit more about each other, you know where you got to clean up the execution areas, and then week two you play better. And the problem is, is there's really, there's four teams in the league that probably are pretty good about who they are in the offensive line and at quarterback. And then there's four teams in the league that probably are questioning those two areas. And that's what's going to drive the league right now. And right now, New York is depleted due to injuries in their offensive line. So that's a negative. And then the quarterback situation, which was a positive bright spot in week one for New York when they beat Tampa Bay at home, now all of a sudden looks at the quest like a question mark. So what you don't want is that to have a, a snowball's effect of momentum rolling downhill on you. And I guess as well from a from a broadcasting point of view and broadcaster broadcaster terrific for you guys. This is the point, right? The XFL. You see so many anodyne interviews and players that are on autopilot and towing the party line and media and then you get something like this that visceral raw reaction which everybody's talking about days later yeah this is the access that we're talking about right good bad or indifferent you know you know the good bad and the ugly is going to be shown in this league and you know i shared with somebody earlier in the week they said well did you feel like you were piling on and mm. 
And I said, no, quite honestly, I didn't because we didn't create the storyline. New York and Matt McGloin created the storyline. We were the vessel in the medium that presented it to the viewer. And then on top of that, if he would have thrown four touchdowns in one interception, we probably would have interviewed him at least five times, if not more. So you're going to get the good, you're going to get the bad, but isn't that the raw emotion that everybody's seeking? It's a fan of football, and you wonder, what are those interactions between plays? What are those interactions um, between series, whether it's on the bench and you got a frustrated player throwing down a water bottle, or you've got a coach ripping off his headset, and actually hearing that audio, seeing that interaction. So it's not always going to be pretty. And I've given Matt McGloin credit, guys. Post-game, he was asked by the media, do you regret any of the comments that you made? And he said, you know, I don't regret any of the comments I've made. This is the access that you all want, right? And so this is what really happens on a sideline during the course of a game. And so now you know. And he kind of owned up to it, but he was he's right in what he's saying. It's, listen, was it ideal? Am I embarrassed? Did I play bad? Did I maybe say the wrong thing? Sure. But that happens every week on every sideline in a professional or college football game every single year. Yeah, I wonder if it's one of those innovations that the NFL takes on or really resists uh, taking on, given what... Well, they'll resist it, I can promise. (laughs) (laughs) They're looking at it. They're looking at it, but they're resisting it. Yeah, you talked last week about the mobility factor that P.J. Walker brought um, to the quarterbacking the quarterbacking Ooh. position, and, and we saw it again uh, this week. But on the other hand, too, you've got Cardale Jones, who's only been sacked once in two games. You know, right now, which which guy is the league's number one quarterback after two weeks? Well, if you're going to take the skill set in its totality and include the dynamic of the run game from the quarterback, you're going to have to go with P.J. Walker. I mean, he's pulling a rabbit out of the hat, and he's – constantly creating and extending these plays. I don't know if you guys saw this past week where he, he threw a ball sidearm, mm-hmm. sidearm on the run, and literally his elbow was down by his knee. There's no way that throw should have been able to be made, and that's just instinct and natural ability, but it was made because of his legs. And Cardell Jones, don't get me wrong, six foot five, 260 pounds, he's a deceptively good athlete, but he's not that constant threat every time the ball's snapped to create a real problem. What I came away with after week two and seeing DC back-to-back weeks, the poise and command of the offense on behalf of Cardale Jones was tenfold what it was in week one. His growth, his maturity, his understanding of what they were wanting to do, he made quicker decisions. He was more poised as a result. He didn't get hit as much. I was really impressed with his progress week one to week two. We had we had trade number two in the league this week. Does getting SJ Green back help Mark Trestman when they were together in Montreal? Did he play quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> that answers that. Yeah. Uh, what, no, no touchdowns on offense this season. So no, far. not yet. Yeah, no touchdowns on offense. Um, they're li- here's the thing about it, though. Statistically, from the 20 to the 20 on offense, they're like second in the league in offensive total yards. <laughs> right. So they're moving the ball. They can't score in the red zone. They're also, I think, the second leading rushing team in the league behind St. Louis or, or one or the other. So there are positive moments. But the issue is is they've got a real quarterback problem on their hands. And not only does it include an injury to Aaron Murray, it includes ineffectiveness with Quentin Flowers and, and Taylor Cornelius. And that has got to get shored up because – Jerry Glanville's got himself a, I call it a high-risk, high-reward defense. They're going to come after you, 
and they're going to get their fair share of negative plays, but they're also going to give up their fair share of big plays, and that's just who they're going to be on defense. But the problem is if they don't get in the end zone, the defense is on the field too much. You talked so, about adding another weapon to the offense. Absolutely. Is that a positive? Sure it is. But the quarterback position is paramount right now for Tampa Bay to get back on track. You talked about coaches pulling their headsets off and slamming them down. If Jerry does that, he's still got a backup on. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. He'll have a good pair of shades too. Have a good pair of shades. Did you hear him? Hey, did you hear him in the interview? Um, Think of, yeah, it was in Seattle, and and uh, one of my former colleagues, uh, Brock Hewitt, I think, was talking to him, and he said, well, you're, you're dialing up and calling these plays. He goes, I'm not calling plays. That's too complicated. He <laughs> goes, we just go out there and line up. <laughs> <laughs> Old school. I'm the line that. You, you mentioned quarterback injuries. And yeah. looking into Jerry, that, <laughs> Jerry Glanville is, is is younger than Joe Biden, <laughs> but, just yeah, barely, but, but just barely. But just barely. I haven't done the maths then. Is, what about what about um? They're the same age. Are they they, they, the same age? Okay. Uh, Looking into the Miami media, the Florida media, I should say, the uh, going into the Vipers game, which of course you're doing this weekend. And I was looking into how they're reporting the XFL, and at least two or three different outlets I saw uh, brought up Tim Tebow, and Tim Tebow inevitably, Florida media uh, was asked. I think were the XFL interested? Did he reach any? Have any offers? He said, "Yeah, they reached out, but I wasn't interested." Question for you now, we're a couple of weeks in, and I know the XFL has, is deliberately not about this, and, and you made the very point, uh, the first chat you had with us, with Oliver Luck and how he set out the stall. It's not about gimmicks. It's not about uh, uh, getting a fast buck. But you look at players like right. Tebow, or Johnny Manziel, Antonio Brown, of course, inevitably gets mentioned. Do you think that before the end of the season, there is going to be at least one marquee name like that playing in the XFL? I think potentially there could be, but really the answer to that question is if you see one of those guys, does that player make the team or the league better, or is he just name recognition? Mm. And so from the coaches and the player evaluators and the general managers across the league, they're going to be making decisions regardless of name on whether or not they can improve their football team. And, you know, I, you know Johnny Manziel has had so many opportunities. He's had so many chances afforded to him and still can't seem to get it right. I'm not so sure that Tim Tebow as a passer is at the level that you would need him to be to help your roster. Yeah, would he sell some tickets and all those sorts of things? Absolutely. But I can tell you right now, Mark Tressman is far more worried about winning football games because that, more than anything else, is what's going to sell tickets. Mm. And so, um, you know, potentially I think there's there's room for that. But let's not forget, too, this is a, a what I call a free agent structured league, which means if you're available – all right, and you've maybe been cut off of an NFL roster or you've just been cut out of the CFL or, or whatever it is, and you're on the waiver wire somewhere, you can be added to the XFL at any point. All right, now they're not going to go take kids that are enrolled in school. That's not the goal here. But if you're on the street and you've played football and, and maybe you're an improvement, I can assure you as we get through week three in the remainder of the regular season, there's going to be more free agent moves as well as trades. I think there's three quarterbacks, to be honest with you guys, in New York between Marquise Williams, all right, Luis Perez, and Matt McGloin. Somebody is going to offer New York a trade for one of those three quarterbacks. Maybe not McGloin because if they remain him, keep him as a starter, but those other two are good enough to be playing for some of the teams that are struggling at quarterback right now. 
how's Josh Johnson look for you? Because he's a name, of course, a lot of recognition with our with our listeners, uh, uh, NFL fans. You know, he's a wily old veteran, really. The number of teams he's had over the years, <laughs> thirteen uh, teams in twelve 13, years. Thirteen, is it? Blimey, the <laughs> that's uh, a, it's his own league. <laughs> it's I more, know more than the entire XFL. He, he was injured, obviously, week one. Back week two, how did he look to you? He has his moments. Um, the way I would probably describe him is. He's been with 13 teams in 12 years. Right. So what's missing? Something's missing that he's not sticking. All right. And so, and I think a lot of that is inconsistency and probably a lack of consistent accuracy. He'll have moments and he'll go play in and play out where he'll look really, really good. And they'll just do something head scratching and make you go, what are you doing, man? And so he shows moments where you get excited and he's an athlete. And I said to you guys last week, the more I watched week one, the more dynamic you are with your feet in this league, the better chance you have of moving the football because so many of these coordinators on defense with these stats, a Jerry Glanville, you know, a uh, Jim Herman in New York, they're NFL guys. They're not used to having to defend quarterback run. So that helps L.A. I just don't know if L.A. top to bottom is quite as talented as maybe some of the other teams and then you have a little bit of the ineffectiveness at quarterback, and it magnifies the issue. Mm. Defenders, uh, they travel to LA this weekend. That's their first road game uh, of this season. Who, all said and done, obviously, they're 2-0, and uh, Houston 2-0. and Who is number one in your power rankings right now, Tom? I would have Houston with a slight edge, a slight edge over D.C. Um, and the reason why is I think they're capable of creating more explosive plays on offense, not just because of the quarterback, but because of the offensive scheme. You know, it's that tweaked, morphed version of the June Jones run and shoot, but it's not the run and shoot, but it's very difficult to defend. With D.C., you have far more of a pro-style blended with a college-style atmosphere with Pep Hamilton because he's coached at both levels. Um, I think defensively, I might give a slight edge to D.C., but overall, I think Houston tops the league right now. They're 2-0. D.C.'s 2-0, obviously. And then again, the team that I think is pretty good, and I, and I really – I think I think St. Louis is pretty good. That's, and I think – That's what I was just about, just what I was about to, to say. Better yeah. and better. Yeah, they look. Yeah, they didn't look. They didn't look bad. They didn't look bad in losing. That was that was the, no, the key. No, they didn't. And they and they they've got some components to winning football. They can run the football when they want to. The quarterback's a dynamic runner. He's only going to get better as a passer. I think he might be the highest ceiling guy mm. of all the quarterbacks in the league. Week one to week ten of maybe somebody will show the most improvement. So they've got a chance. And listen. Dallas Landry Jones didn't play maybe the way that they felt Landry Jones was going to play, but he played well enough, particularly in the second half, to win the game. But I don't know if you guys watched that game or picked up on it. There's such a difference between the NFL veteran, all right, in between plays than some of the younger, inexperienced guys. And, and when you heard the play coming from the sideline, all right, from Hal Mommy, you heard the call coming out of Landry Jones' mouth. But then what you would hear is he'd be talking to Lance Dunbar. I'd be like, you know, Lance, we've got pickup here, 54 first, 57 second. Neither of them come. I need you out in the flat right now, all right? Or I'm going to – and he's directing traffic. He's so dialed in and so calm at the same time that it was really magnified the difference between a guy that spent six, seven years in the league and the guy that's trying to get there of the knowledge of the game. I think that really showed with Landry Jones. Yeah, it's a great point. One more for you, Tom, before we let you go. A special mention to Eli Rogers, uh, who, of course, former Steelers receiver now with D.C., yeah. 
Uh, and a big story, because this weekend he played in the game on Saturday uh, after his mother's death. It was his mother's funeral. And it was a decision that in many quarters drew quite a lot of criticism from people who didn't really know the full story. He's a player that you've known since he was a teenager, isn't he? Yeah. He is a special kid. I've actually met his mother. So part of my duties here at ESPN, aside from college football and the XFL, is I'm our director of scouting for high school recruiting for football. So players coming out of the high school ranks going into the college ranks. Part of those duties also include uh, creating the Under Armour All-America game, which is a high school all-star game of the 100 of the best athletes in the country. Well, so many of those former alumni are playing in the XFL, you know, and Eli Rogers is one of those guys. And so he played in the Under Armour game with us, obviously moved on, had a great career at Louisville. Had he not gotten hurt with Pittsburgh, he'd probably still be in the NFL right now. And I think, you know, in talking to him, he just felt like, what he needed right now was the football family to help get him through and take his mind off of this. He sat down, he took some time, he wrote a very extensive letter to his family to be read, and then he's going to take some time and, and, and get down and visit his family. And listen, nobody can put themselves in his shoes. Right. Nobody can do that. It's not fair. It's, it's, it's everybody's own judgment on what they think is right for them. And I'll tell you what, he played unbelievably well. I think his mother would be awfully proud of him. I think he knows that. And so for those who want to criticize, you're not in Eli Rogers' shoes. And um, and I, 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 he had his reasons for doing what he wanted to do. Amen. Yeah, well said, Tom. And uh, you're absolutely right. He had a great game. He's had a great season so far. So long may that continue. Yeah. Terrific to see him playing so well. Terrific stuff, Tom. Enjoy the weekend. And we will catch up with you next week. Will do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it each week. Time for the mailbag hour, Mike. Now, mailbag. Mailbag. Questions that you haven't answered already on social, social media. So we've cut out quite a few. Um, seeing as we talk Cherry Glamble. You keep saying oh, right. that. Well, I'm going to keep on rolling with that one uh, until it becomes true. After seeing, this is from Mark, appreciate this. After seeing Jerry Glanville, the aforementioned Jerry Glanville, uh, <laughs> as defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay last week in the XFL, any reminisces, fellas, from head coaches back in the day? So... It obviously evoked memories for, for Mark. Did well, it- you know, the funniest thing was, I, what I would, first thing that jumps to mind is Jerry Glanville doing Channel 4 yeah, back, of back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, wasn't it with Gary? Did they, they have Jerry in with Gary or was it with like... Nick Clockhurst, wasn't it? Was it? Was it with Nick? I'll look well, Nick up. wasn't keep the host. Talking, but, but the, the, what would you call it? The, the awkward fit? Of styles between Jerry and whoever, whoever the, I mean, unless it was the vicious boys. Yeah. Um, it, it was very, very strange. And, and Jerry was doing his whole man in black Johnny Cash thing in those sure, days. Which you dropped know. a few times. Yeah. And, um, it, it was, it was an awful lot of fun. Uh, but you, you know, we missed those kind of, that was, that was like Bum Phillips and, and Buddy Ryan to an extent, but Buddy Ryan was never a good old boy like, like Bum Phillips was and Jerry wanted to be, you know, and, um, it was funny because, um, when I look, when I looked up to see how old Jerry was, mm. and you know, he's the same age as Bernie Sanders, as we, as we pointed out, and younger, a <laughs> little younger <laughs> than Joe size. Biden. Yeah. Um, his wife came up. But there's a woman with a name almost like his wife, mm. wife's, who's like a reality TV star, who appears to have been on every single reality TV show. 
<laughs> I was just thinking, it would have been so perfect if she was his wife. <laughs> Brilliant. It was, yeah, looking at it, here we go. There is an image. There's the an image. Of Jerry and, and Gary Nick, Black. Or, or both dressed in black. Yeah, it was, yeah, both dressed in black, but it was, yeah, you know, and I did one year with Gary, which was, which was a whole lot of fun, but, um, Gary is, Gary is whip smart and very serious. Mm. He's got, and he's got a very dry sense of humor, but, but in terms of like the, the reactions to Jerry Glanville, Jerry Glanville would say stuff and Gary would be just looking like, you know, in shock, not kind of like, did he really just say that? Or, <laughs> but more like, did he say that? Does that mean what I think it means, or does it mean something else? I'm not quite sure. To you, Iron Mike. Yeah. Uh, back to the at least at least you've proven me my memory was correct. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I would have been really upset never if it wasn't. That. I never yeah. done that. And Mark, uh, back to your original question, the, the coach I always think about in terms of uh, reminiscing, I always always think of Tom Landry. And I used to, when I first fell in love with the NFL, of course, he was still coaching the Cowboys then, and I was really taken just by, if nothing else, just the, the sartorial. A statement that the man made with the man. I, I was, that I was going, story. I was just going to say that it, you know, when you finished, he is a picture of Tom Landry is the best argument for let coaches wear on the sidelines. Of course, coaches wouldn't wear that stuff nowadays no. because people don't dress up like that right. nowadays. But you know, coaches, Vince Lombardi and his cloth overcoat, yes. you know, and, yeah. and the hat with the flaps and, <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff. It, it yeah. was brilliant. It was what, it was what men were supposed to look like. You know, basketball coaches don't wear basketball uniforms, um, you know, or warm up suits on right. the sidelines. They wear sharp, they wear sharp suits, yeah. you know, and, and, um. But even when Landry in the, in the, this is the, what, the late eighties, right? It was, yeah. It was, Already a throwback then, right? Let alone looking at it. Now. Sort of, yeah. No Especially the hats, because yeah, hats had already, you know, hats were actually out when Landry was wearing them, to be right, honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but he continued, he continued. Uh, hats started going out with John Kennedy, um, cause Kennedy's famously, you know, weren't wearing hats, like even to his inauguration, you know, he, he did with his, with the hat off. It's yeah. good enough for Frank. It's good enough for me. Uh, big hair Jack. <laughs> here's one for, uh, from Reese at the NC show is how you get in touch with us. And we're pushing out stuff all week long, of course, on social media. So make sure you give us to follow Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Reese uh, asks us, which team would you most like to see on Hard Knocks and why? <sighs> this summer, Hard Knocks. More reality television. The Browns would be interesting. The Browns are always interesting. Um, but they've done it too recently, right? Based so, on yeah. our discussions in this show, I would say the Bengals. Ooh. Wouldn't you like to see Joe Burrow is reaction, you know, when uh, <laughs> when when the G, when the owner owner cum GM comes down or his son, the director of player personnel, come down and, and have a couple of words with him. Uh, Would it be more or less moody than Matt McGlowan at halftime? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know, he could have his own, he could have his own hard knocks. You, you know, put that. a body camera on Matt McGlowan in the off season and, and, you know, watch him going for tryouts or interviews with, with teams. Um, the other, the interesting team, I think, for hard knocks for me would, would always be uh, Seattle. Because I, I just think Pete Carroll would be would He's be a gas. Yeah. Would be a the gas. Dolphins to me. I'm not saying this for a home reason, but the Dolphins would be interesting because they have a lot of picks. They're going to be. A, they'll feel like a team on the up. Flores. Much about him, other than he's had a pretty good first season as head coach. And yeah, and, and Bruce Arians is good value, yeah. especially if they keep Jameis Winston. Yeah, and then you and you get to see what he's trying to do right. with Jameis. Um, right. Those 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 are all good. They're all good choices. Um, Dallas as well, I guess, would be interesting. Change there. Dallas is always, uh, yeah, but then you have to have a separate camera following Jerry Jones around. That's fine. That's fine. And one one in the box as well. Uh, Johnny, which young NFL third stringer 
which young NFL third stringer would benefit most from playing in the XFL quarterback? I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. This, this is the kind of, you know, developmental league, uh, right. thing, which I think we, um, we talked about Jordan Tamu and I think I said it yeah. last week too. I, I, I was surprised he hadn't made an NFL roster yeah. as a developmental guy. And, and I think, I think he'll probably get another shot at it after this. Um, third string guys. We talked about Finley, so his name is up in up in my head. He's probably a little bit better than a third string guy mm. at this point, but but he's one um, that you could consider. Remember, most of the guys who came from teams to NFL Europe were basically third stringers, right. but some of them went immediately back to second string mm-hmm. posts. Um, Kurt Warner is a good example. Brock Heward. Um, Tom mentioned, um, and his brother Damon, uh, yeah, be- before him, yeah, yeah. um, and, um, one of the Hasselbeck brothers, uh, Tim. And, you know, they got a fairly good quarter, you know, a group of quarterbacks out of that. And as I'm saying this, I'm rushing through Nick Mullins, although I don't think yeah, Nick Mullins has anything to prove. You know, I think yeah. he showed that he could be, that he could be a, a capable enough, um, NFL quarterback. PJ Walker was basically a third guy in Indianapolis, but they didn't want to keep a third guy. Um, which is how they got him. Apparently he was recommended by someone, um, with the Colts. Uh, Luck, Andrew Luck said to his father, I think that PJ Walker was a really good player and, um, well, the they, they put him in, put him into the draft. But that, that's the kind of guy, the guy who doesn't quite fit the profile. Oh, you know what? The duck. I was just looking him up, Devlin Hodges. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the duck just would look, the duck would be a perfect guy to have got that year of experience in yeah. another league instead of being thrown into just the, looking out to the at, the, at that. the deep end. But you know, but he acquitted himself reasonably well. Um, oh, here's an idea, Easton Stick. I think Easton Stick's interesting. Um, I kind of liked him coming out coming out of college. Not a real strong arm, but that's that's the other category of guys who who did well in NFL Europe. Mm. Um, Jamie Martin, Paul Justin, guys like that who didn't have the full bag of talents, but were the kind of quarterbacks who you could put in and not lose a game. JT O'Sullivan was yeah, like, okay. was like that as okay. well. Um, they were smart. They didn't have the physical package, but they proved in NFL Europe that they could manage a game mm-hmm. and, and coaches like that kind of guy because your primary function as a backup is not to lose a game when they have to put you in. Right. Your secondary function then becomes having to win them. And the number of backups who can actually go out and win games on their own are very small because if they can do that, they'd usually, they'd usually be starting. Um, JP Losman kind of lane, do you think? J- is that too much of a reach? Well, JP Losman was a first round draft pick, remember? Was he? Yeah. He was picked around 24, 25. Wow. Um, the, uh, Paul Justin, I mentioned Kelly Holcomb was another interesting one because he started a, a bit in the league and he had a good arm. Uh, um, he was very young when he went to NFL Europe and played. But you know, it was a great argument that league was for having a developmental league, if for no other position than quarterback, sure. because that's what everybody looks at. But but they developed a lot of other guys as well. Yeah. Some guys who just needed two years. To make a little bit of money so they could get bigger and stronger. Brandon Noble's a great example of that defensive tackle who wound up in Washington after two years in the league. Some guys just needed to mature a bit. Some guys needed to prove that they could play in the right situation. Bill Schrader, say, wide receiver for the, for the Packers, came out of a Division three college in Wisconsin. Um, 
you know, I, I just watched so many guys play well. Mike Maslowski for the Chiefs. And the teams that bought into the system got value out of From it. it. Yeah, the yeah. Chiefs were I one of the best examples. Mike. Brian Waters, Mike Maslowski, Dante Hall. Right. You know, they, they sent guys over, um, and, and they got, um, they, they got value for what they, what they sent over. One for the road, Iron Mike. Why not? From Nick. Schneider, hey Nick, should the Bengals move on AJ Green? Is it the end of the road, and are they going to get much value from given his age? That's that's a really good question because I wonder how much market there'll be for AJ Green. There will be a couple of teams, Patriots. Patriots are going to be the first. That's a great, it's a great shout. That was going to be the first team I say that teams that will, you know, take a, a flutter on veterans for a year or two. Um, if they can get a team friendly contract, a sort of prove it contract that will pay right. you, you know, pay you in the second, in the second year or, or at the conclusion of the, of the first year. You're more likely to take a deal like that with a team like the Patriots, right? You're yeah. Content. Absolutely. That it, it's win win. If you, if you're, if you've played your career in Cincinnati and, and you want a chance at a championship, there will be a couple of other teams i think thinking the same same thing the saints would be another another example i meant um, to ask mike this actually he was linking and well i think he was linking and that's what i wanted to ask him to, to uh uh to verify this but linking uh antonio brown possibly to the saints i think there was a tweet that went out that he's it might have even been our friend dan olofsky that said it watch and, Antonio and Brown in New Orleans. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Once the Breeze deal was announced, <laughs> although he was coming back, that was that was discussed. Well, he, Brown, I mean, Antonio Brown, if his head is on straight and and he can keep it that way, will help any team that he joins. I I can't think of a team in the NFL that wouldn't be better with it within with the what would you call it, the er Antonio Brown playing for them the question is how much of his baggage can you can the team endure and how much do you believe that he's not going to bring baggage with him zero in my in my mind you know that that's going to be a, a really difficult and you know the patriots it was out of their hands you know Ultimately, yeah. Because when he left the Patriots, it was because he sent the threatening tweets, right? Um, but look at how long Josh Gordon lasted with the Patriots, how hard they tried yeah. to sort of keep him in line. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and it wasn't, it's not even Josh Gordon's fault. You know, he's got problems that are, are really hard for anybody to cope with. And obviously he at least recognized he wasn't coping with them. Um, and that, and that's why, that's why he was gone, you know, and, and always will probably get, another chance um, because of his talent level. Brown will certainly get another chance at some point, but right now I don't see signs that, you know, Anytime put, soon. putting him in New Orleans would be a good thing. Lovely. Thanks, Nick, uh, for that. And thanks to all of you for getting your questions in uh, to us at the NC Show. If you want to follow suit, more mailbag next week, more Iron Mike coming your way very soon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash FMTE. Yeah, and it's going ahead for a third season. Lovely, John. Um, or, or at least a third off season. <laughs> we'll see. We'll Say see. Potato. Yeah. Uh, get involved with that. We'll push the uh, link out on our social channels as well. Cheers, man. Uh, we will see you all next week. Enjoy. Bye for now. Podcast Network.